Play us something, man. We want to hear you play something, man. Dylan and just wanted to jump in here real quick and give you a little outline for the rest of the episode uh, since it's a little bit different. Uh, the first 20-25 minutes or so is a recap of Desert Fest New York which was held earlier on in the month and then we're going to jump to a, an interview with Kent from WoFat after that. So please enjoy the rest of this chapter. Obviously, Desert Fest did not happen the last two years uh, because of the pandemic, uh, but I did go to the inaugural event uh, in 2019 uh, that was held at The Well, does not exist anymore, RIP. I like that venue. So now it is held at the Knockdown Center uh, in Queens. Everybody was saying Brooklyn, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's like right on like, it's on that like border <laughs> area but still had uh, the Thursday pre-party. So now originally it was just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they bumped it up to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, with the pre-party again at St. Vitus, which I've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast and going there. But needless to say, uh, Desert Fest New York was the first big gig that I was going to after two and a half years of the plague fucking everything up. And so I was excited and I was a bit anxious because I was going to be photographing the festival or a festival for the first time. And I was like pretty geared up for that. Turned out to be a little bit of an odyssey. If you catch my drift, let's just say there were some miscommunications that kind of held me up at the beginning of the day on Friday at the knockdown center. And we'll just kind of leave it at that. But everything, as far as I was concerned, by the end of the weekend was fine. I wound up having a good time. But the first night uh, went off without a hitch. It was at, you know, local watering hole, St. Vitus. They were doing the Thursday pre-party. That's just become the norm for most festivals now. Uh, and the lineup was uh, Druids, Freedom Hawk, Valley of the Sun, who had to step in at the last minute to fill in for somebody who I don't remember. I think it was Planet of Zeus and New Jersey's own Atomic Bitch Wax. You know, just like solid stoner rock appetizer for the weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, saw yeah. Some, got, it was nice to see some folks I hadn't seen in a little while. Met some, you know, new people that I had kind of just like known through the Goon podcast. You know, it was a good night. I had a good time. Didn't really like get too crazy or whatever. So then Friday rolls around at the Knockdown Center. I was taking the train out there. It's like a 15 minute walk from whatever. You know, like I said, a little bit of a snafu, but whatever. Um, but once all that was like dealt with, I like bolted to the photo pit because Black Tusk was on. And I was like really excited to see them because I think Black Tusk fucking kicks ass. Uh, they're like swap metal rockers from Savannah, Georgia. So they have that like sludgy ass. They're a little bit more like deathy, I guess, than some of the other ones. 
they were really good and i was just like really fucking excited to see them i wasn't really sure what like you know they uh, you know through the weekend they were not clearing the photo pit after like a certain amount of songs so i just was like all right i'm just gonna see like when people tend to like vacate it was kind of around like three or four songs you know if there was like something really exciting going on or something really interesting we stuck around for a while or sometimes there was overlap and people came later they once i got about three songs worth of pictures i spent most of the rest of the set on the barrier and like i was just like so fucking like i needed it like it was fucking so good they kicked ass awesome. they fucking awesome. kicked ass they were super good only get saw a little bit of my friends in leather lung but they're always good um saw about like a song from them uh, so but after Black Tusk, I boogied over to, to the, so there were two stages. There was the main room, uh, which was just like a big open space and like this old refurbished warehouse or whatever the fuck it was originally. And then there was just like, they turned all these other little rooms in there into little other venues. So they had this like little side room past the merch area. And it was kind of gross in there for most of the weekend because it was just small and there were a lot of bodies and they turned the smoke machine on a lot too, even though like before they even turned it on, it was just, there was so much just like human, it's kind of disgusting. Like human moisture just started to look like a sauna. It was kind of nasty. If the room was like at sauna level for leather lung, it was like by the time I got back full on swamp. I only lasted a little bit in there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I saw another band there, this band Geezer from the Hudson Valley. And I could only last a little bit in there too for the first night. I was like, God damn, man, it is just like, it is moist in here. So, and it was a little tough because it was like overcast that day, I think. And there was this late afternoon glare that was really fucking up the ability to take pictures like it was tough for me with my setup because i don't have the most like complex camera with the lenses you know i ain't no fucking yeah. tim bugby uh <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that kind of money <laughs> the filters and stuff yeah the... um ain't no tinfoil biter um <laughs> so it was a little tough i to saw navigate. some cool pictures from her actually with uh from desert fest taking pictures of reed doing uh his little guitar machinations backstage tomoko is fucking amazing she was recently on Diary of Doom and uh, her 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 photos of bands and like what she can like do is fucking unreal. It's crazy. So it was a little tough to navigate, but I, it got better throughout the weekend actually. So back at the main stage, uh, Mothership was priming to take off and launch they did. Uh, they're a really fun band to photograph because they're really animated. So I, I think I got some pretty great pictures of them. We'll see. I'm still editing all of them uh, at the moment. I took a little bit of a break there, caught up with my friend Dave from Made in Brooklyn and made friends with this band Broom, who was going to be playing on Saturday before I dove back into the pit for one of my all time favorites, Orange fucking Goblin. And like, I've seen Goblin before, but like, it was just fucking rad to see them again because they're awesome <laughs> yeah they rule and that band uh broom fun fact is i just checked them out the other day because uh people were posting about them from desert fest yeah. i liked it pretty bad but yeah ben ward is quite possibly the largest man to ever walk the planet <laughs> or one of at least because i had to like sneak by him and like man he is just like a tank 
He is one of the largest people on the planet. He's huge. He's like wrestling he stats. He dislocated a dude's shoulder with a, with a high five. Yeah, I remember that. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty sweet. It's insane. I dipped out for a quick dinner break. I wound up eating fucking souvlaki three days in a row. And uh, let me tell you, that was... <laughs> I, I, th I think by the second souvlaki, uh, my my body was like, you need to do something about this, sir. <laughs> and then I hooked it back for John Garcia and the Band of Gold, who was filling in for Monster Magnet because they had to drop off. Dave Windorf had a back injury. so um, And I was like interested to see what he was going to do. Uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised when he just started dropping Kaya's tunes on us. That's sick. Dude, I never thought I'd get to see 100 Degrees or Green Machine in the wild, but I fucking did. So thank you, oh, John Garcia. And like, he sounded really good. And uh, I was when I was taking pictures, my friend Aton was there. He was up on the barricade. He was just like, dude, just look at the set list. And I looked on and I was like, and I only told him one, one Kaya song. And he was like, they're playing 100 Degrees? Yes. And then it was just fucking eight Kaya songs. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So. That's dope. And then after that, uh, Corrosion Conformity wrapped up day one. So I stuck around for just a few songs. Uh, they actually sounded really good. But Mike Dean, the bassist, like, clearly having a great time. He's amazing. He is a phenomenal yeah, bass player. And yeah. he plays it in such a weird manner. He's a noodle man. Like, he's like, looks like he's made out of noodles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I, I dipped out. I had called a night also i had the chance to get a free ride home so i took advantage of it oh there you go so then uh saturday rolled around and uh i don't know like it, it's funny like a lot happened that day but i felt like i didn't have like as much to say like it everything just like went smoothly everything kind of like it was very much back and forth i had a lot of time to chill with people which you know it's always great um it was like raining a lot that day so i didn't go outside that much but i still like chatted maybe i didn't chat with as many people as i thought i did because <laughs> i was like just taking pictures and shit so yeah if day one was for the stoner rock crowd day two was like pretty weird and eclectic you know like green druid uh somnuri and warhorse brought the heavy you know uh, oh, warhorse was fucking great obviously i was talking to terry uh for a while you know and talked to jerry for a little bit uh i still haven't talked to mike i should just like i should have introduced myself but i didn't he, he always seems like he's like very focused on doing stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drummers i guess i don't know mike i love you but uh yeah good to see them and it was funny because we were warhorse opened the day and you know there were people there watching them and they started and you know they sounded great and everything and my friend Craig had said, he's like, yeah, I started looking around and there was like nobody there. And it was just because- It was early, right? It was just because the small room had started before them. And once that started to wind down, people came out and there was a nice big crowd for them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it was really great to see them again. Fucking Warhorse rules, obviously. Best band ever. <laughs> uh, Green Druid was really good. It was great to see my friends in Somnuri. Buddy Justin, you know, I did an episode with him. They killed it. it. was the first time I got to see them. And then this band Cloakroom played, and I kind of forgot, like, I had forgotten, like, how fucking, like, chill this band is. Like, very lo-fi. 
in the main room on the main stage pretty new band i'm telling you dude when they were playing it was so quiet you could hear pin drop like besides the music like that's how fucking silent the audience was and, and people what? were super into it what kind of music was it? it was like doom it was like doom gaze i guess is what you would call it like uh hum <laughs> even more like sort of ambient like like post rocky than hum not as there's not as much like fuzz and a like weird effect riffage riffage there's not as much riffage. yeah okay yeah it was strange and then and then broom played and they have kind of that you know they have that like cellist and yeah yeah, um, yeah. you know obviously like uh, a, a woman singer and she kind of reminded me of um i don't know i just kept thinking of uh grace slick no not grace slick i kept th- no, no no i kept thinking of uh Portis head i was just oh okay like, man it's not as it's not trip hop but there is yeah. that there's a shade of it there uh, it was kind of hard to describe maybe i just because they're like a little off kilter you know they're just like off the path a little bit different they're uh definitely like because i was expecting like a super heavy because everybody was like oh check this band out and, uh, i was like oh this band it looks interesting so like uh a little more i don't know where i was thinking i was yeah i was thinking something heavy like really super heavy but then i was like oh wait a minute this isn't super heavy it's more cool or chilled out yeah you know but yeah. jam like there's some like jammy parts too but yeah yeah, yeah. and like Good. just super nice people but yeah it that's was, the best part and people were just silent and patient and then breaking out into like massive applause for these bands it was really wild huh. so that's um cool. then inner Arma played and that was fucking insane and i love inner Arma. they're one of my favorite bands i love that front man he's amazing Yatra played, so there was like it was a night. It was nice to get some like death and extreme metal in there, you know, just to kind of shake things yeah. up. You know, it was just sort of nice. I think everybody needed that after the first day because it was just like so much like stoner rock stuff. So after a quick break for food and laughs and some friends, uh, I was back at the small stage for Silver Tomb, which is like kind of a successor to New York's greatest contribution or one of New York's greatest contributions to Doom typo negative. Uh, so like Kenny Hickey is the one in the band um, and he was in typo. The room was basically impossible to photograph because of the lighting. It was just, it was like completely black, but they had all the strobes on, to, you know, and it was all green. So it kind of had that like typo vibe. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Do they hearken to any typos? I don't think they. I've never seen them. I've never seen them play. I don't think they played any typo covers. I was only there for a little bit. I wouldn't imagine uh, they would. I would imagine if anything, they would do like a little heart, like a little tease. I don't know. know They're sort of like a more, a a bit more of an industrial band. I felt so. They, they, so they have keys too. They had a key. Yeah, they had a keyboard player. Is it, is it Josh, Silver? I don't believe typo. don't believe so okay let me rephrase that silver tomb is kenny hickey and john kelly who were in typo Negative. okay yeah the drummer yeah, yeah yeah hank hell but johnny but that's the thing johnny kelly didn't play he was not available um, so, oh oh so they had um, a different drummer it was actually frank from metal the guy who runs metal injection oh really yeah so <laughs> he filled in and the rest of the band is hank hell Joseph James and Aaron Jews, J O O S of Imperium. 
that's 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 the clarification on that. But it was kind of funny too, because at one point, like, fucking, like they played like their, I don't know, it was like their second song, and Kenny's just like so amazingly New York, like he just drops some New York tune, and he just goes on, he's like, hey, can we turn a fucking light on in here? Because I can't fucking see shit. And then the light comes on, and he goes, thank you. <laughs> Which I think he was actually being sincere, but he doesn't know any other way to speak when he's yeah, in the yeah. zone. And then they did like a little light flicker as a, hey, you know, which I thought was really fun. Torch came on the main stage and like just prior to the event, Steve Brooks announced that he was going to be departing Torch after the tour later this year with Meshuga. And then when, I, when I'm like watching them getting ready, I'm like, I think they're performing as a three piece. And they were. And I was like, shit, oh boy, is this because of like band turmoil? And it was the other guitarist, Jonathan Nunez. But Steve confirmed it simply and regretfully he had COVID, so he couldn't be there. And they killed it. Like the rest of the set was all smiles from the band and the crowd. Uh, and it was a true testament to their performance. And oh, Steve didn't play. No, no, no. Steve played the other. Guitar oh, okay. Player. Oh, the other guy. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I see. But like, it's a testament to their performance and role in the history of heavy underground music because members of Inner Arma and John Maisley from Baroness were just watching them from the pit and just fucking rocking out. Like the guys in Inner Armor were also completely wasted. <laughs> so they they pulled out this. They found a giant stick. Like a gigantic. I saw pictures stick. of the stick. Yeah, I saw pictures. They of the stick found the stick that and were just it up. holding it up in the air. Yeah. I don't know where they found it, but they did, and they were just—they <laughs> were. It was crazy. I've never seen this before. I'd never seen anything like that before. And by that I mean like I've never seen someone just pull out a big stick at a concert. But I—I <laughs> I, it had—it had been such a long time since I saw people just like. Not just fans, but band members, like super excited to see another band. And yeah, it was wild. Like it was, you could tell people were like sad, but also really happy. Baroness rounded out the evening. It's been a while since I'd seen them, but like after a few songs, I was very much going back to like when I first saw them in Pittsburgh, which was not long after their own like personal disaster with their bus accident they were so fucking tight like they were fantastic i was really blown away by how good they sounded and they bounced back and forth between heavy classics and newer stuff some more delicate stuff it was just like a little bit for everybody and they just sounded super tight john made a very passionate speech thanking the organizers and the fans for staying with them over the last two years it was very touching kind of reminded me like why i will always love this band to some degree you know like and John didn't have his guitar tuned 100% for the encore, and he started playing it, and after like maybe two seconds, he just went like, ah! They were like, we gotta do it again. But then he tuned it, and it sounded good. Like, that couldn't even affect it. And I'm sure you've seen plenty of bands do that where you're just like, fuck. Oh, yeah. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, plenty. Last day, my feet fucking hurt, but whatever. And everything just kind of was like clockwork. I got there shortly after Greenbeard started their set. Hot Texas boys for lunch. <laughs> four, <laughs> four of them, minus shirts, and at least one in Daisy Dukes. Um, they were a lot of fun. And then I checked out Left Lane Cruiser because you were like, you got to check them out. And I thought they were good. And I thought it was great that they threw in like just a really out of left field band that was, you know, fucking 
heavy blues with a goddamn washboard of all things. Great. Yeah, Fucking they were good. Ass, right? They played some R.L. Burnside. They played a lot of old. Ice, dude. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. I fucking love R.L. Burnside Jr. Kim Bra. All that Hill County blues shit. Those fucking groups. They were really good. Badass motherfuckers. Yeah, that's sweet, uh, dude. And then, in terms of new arrivals, or at least newer bands on the scene, and I hadn't seen them before, Mother Iron Horse fucking killed it, at the very least with the intro song, and just built in such a lovely, trotting manner before it just came fucking unloaded. It's fucking rad. So, the, the, by the third day, the sound in the small room had been perfected. And they also introduced themselves by saying, we are Mother Iron Horse, and a woman's body is her own fucking business. Uh, and I just thought that was fucking rad. Big business, brought the business, as usual, on the main stage, but it was kind of difficult to overshadow what may have been the unexpected hit of the weekend, which was Stinking Lizabeth, led by the legend Yanni Papadopoulos. The fucking crowd ate them up. They were enamored by them, and they were fucking amazing. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the freedom from lack of locals or just the fact that, holy fucking shit, they absolutely stole the show. They were fucking amazing. People were going ballistic. Like, it was so loud. Like, jaws, like, mouths just hanging open. Yeah, yeah, they're like that. Yeah, I've seen them play, like, probably maybe five, four or five times, all opening for Clutch on the same tour. So I saw them, like, a bunch of days in a row. You know what I mean? And I saw uh, every reaction, every type of reaction to that band. From people walking straight up like being like, I don't want any of this. And just walking out. Or, uh, you know, people like, you know, just loving it, you know. It's, uh, they're, uh, they're quite a sight to behold, I'll tell you. It's fucking Sinyani's man. So, uh, bounce between Dead Meadow and High Reaper, which was kind of a fun contrast between like, really nice mellow jams and, uh, like stand acrobatics. Dead Meadow sounded good. They had some bass issues, I think, at first, but they got it together. Quick break for dinner, more some hockey, and then it was up front to cross off a long overdue band, Red Fang. And I don't know, I guess people have some opinions about that. I'm of the opinion that they fucking rule because they were so good. And I like them a lot because they bring a lot of energy to their shows. And they have a lot of pretty short songs so they can get a lot of songs into even like you know an hour set i think they played like 12 songs or something like that i love their energy i've always felt that they were pretty unique and i felt like they were a lot of fun and very like self-aware totally killer set they they sounded great i was really impressed and i don't know if that's just like first time seeing them kind of thing but i stayed and watched the entire set from inside the stage or from I did not make it out to see Telekinetic Yeti because the room was packed in there and I just decided to make it out for the headliner who is high on fire and you know there's not really much else to say about them at this point as a band it's like not the first time I've seen them it's the first time I got to photograph them and Jeff's bass sounded amazing purest brass chords being like really magical <laughs> really magical sound Jeff fucking knows yeah it's good Cody was doing a great job as well. Uh, and then after that, I just hung out for a little bit and I went home. You know, it was uh, it was a busy weekend. It was an eye-opening weekend. But I'm excited to do it again. I got to go to a festival, see some of my favorite bands from a completely new angle. I'm looking forward to another opportunity to cover, you know, a, uh, an 
another festival possibly in the future or this one again you know I'd, I'd definitely be down to do it i'm interested to see what they do next year um see how they expand or what kind of bands they bring in you know? personally speaking i'd like to see some more sludge you know that kind of shit and maybe like one or two bands that are not specifically stoner or doom or whatever and and just like some other stray observations a lot of patterns with band names on this bill black tusk red fang green beard green druid high on fire high reaper mother iron horse war horse mothership mother iron horse <laughs> that's Fuck great. crazy that's great also <laughs> did not drink that much at the festival amazing how good you feel when you don't drink that much and you're attending yeah. a multi-day festival and uh, standing next to speakers with earplugs feels amazing. So that's that's my little Desert Fest uh, recap. Did you have a, a question about it? Oh, I was going to ask you about like who was kick ass, but you already covered that. Yeah, I, I guess just like if I had to like boil it down to uh, you know, because I've seen a lot of these bands over the years, and I've enjoyed most of their performances you know regardless so i would have to say like probably like my my favorite sets of the weekend uh would john garcia inner arma black tusk oh i forgot to mention king buffalo um i only saw one song by them but i had i literally just saw them recently uh opening up for uncle acid uh but it was my favorite king buffalo song orion and that was oh, awesome and it was cool to see our friends, uh, Bill and uh, Brian, fucking having a good old time. At, you know, oh, yeah, they love that band. So, um, yeah, I'd say John Garcia, Baroness, Torch, Inner Arma. Black Tusk. But I think in terms of like stuff that was like pretty much new to me, like, the, like well, I guess, you know, John Garcia was new to me and also very unique. Um, and Baroness and Torch and Inner Arma for just like being super fucking solid and just sounding great and bringing it. I would have to say, I think it would probably be Red Fang and Stinking Lizavetta probably were like my top two favorite sets of the weekend. Maybe fought, maybe with like John Garcia, like three and Torch, like right after that. I think those are probably like my favorite sets of the weekend. Black Tusk, Dylan, Black Tusk. You forgot Black Tusk, you fool. I'm pumped you got to see Kai, some Kaius live. Oh, it was really good. Sweet. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. I got to see Kaius lives. That was That's a, cool. That was, that was the closest I got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was cool. I, I saw John for, I didn't like say anything to him. He was at Vitus on uh, Thursday. I saw him for a minute and it's kind of like, Oh, really? What you look like oh. in real life? You know, it's funny. Uh, so I forget who it was. What oh, it totally said. I forget who it was who went up to me and was just like, hey, did you know that he's like a vet tech? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's, he has like a real job. <laughs> yeah. Live, he sounds so good. His like voice is just. Yeah, he's just doing like his the, little like, funny little dance. I like the way he sings. <laughs> good times. Good times. Welcome, fanatics. This is the latest entry in the Diary of Doom. I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of Doom Metal and its sister sounds, based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week, we will have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, follow along on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
if you have a question or whatever, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. Stoner rock may have originated in the southwestern deserts of the U.S., but it didn't take long for its sound to spread throughout the country. Bands from every nook and cranny were picking up the style and dropping their own flair onto it. Eventually, those riffs made their way to Texas, where everything is bigger, including the riffs. And from the same state that gave us the greatest convenience store chain of all time, Bucky's, it also gave us Wofat. Joining me today on Diary of Doom is Kent Stubb, guitarist and vocalist for the band, and they have a brand new album out, uh, which is the first one in six years, I think, right? That is right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, welcome. I probably <clears throat> shouldn't have exited out of my questions, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I am exhausted after a full weekend of Desert <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised. I bet you are. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, so I actually saw Wofat back in like 2017 or 18 at a venue in Brooklyn that no longer exists. And I think uh, also on the bill was The Well and a local yeah. band called Let It Rot. And I distinctly remember your drummer, Michael, giving the sound guy a very hard time about the drums not being loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but I do remember that was like one of the hottest gigs we've ever played. I remember it was so hot that night. It was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a summertime show and it was unnaturally like just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was. Yeah. I, trying to be do extra headbanging just to get air moving around my face because it was so freaking hot. And that's something to be said for a guy that's from Texas playing in New York, <laughs> you know? Well, I guess we have more AC in Texas. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, so it's the new album out, uh, The Singularity. But obviously, you know, you've been kicking it for like about 20, just about 20 years or so. At the beginning of it all, like what were your earliest experiences with music? Did you come from a musical family or did you discover it on your own? No, I grew up in a musical family. Um, both of my parents are classical musicians. That like some of my earliest uh, musical memories are are like Stravinsky, Rite of Spring is one of the things I remember from being very, very young. So, you know, we were exposed to classical music a lot. My mom taught piano lessons. So like every day, all day, there were piano students coming in and out playing piano down in our basement. And then, you know, my dad was also a fan of big band jazz. And so it that's kind of like was my first exposure to more not classical. And, and that led me, both myself and my brother, to playing instruments music kind of just was it always just was a given it was never i never thought about doing anything else you know i mean that as far as as playing like rock and stoner rock or things like that that didn't i didn't really sort of move towards that till later like i said music has just always been everything in my life you know and like prior to starting wofat like you know where were you and like what were you doing before you decided i'm gonna kick this fucking project <laughs> off the ground <laughs> Well, I went to a, a music school at UNT, University of North Texas, and I was a jazz major in school there. My my plan was to be a jazz musician, and and you know, as I when I was at school there, I you know, as you do when you go to college, you make make a lot of new friends that are from a lot of different places and have a lot of different backgrounds. They turned me on to lots of music that I didn't know about before. And I, you know, started listening to more blues and more and like punk rock. This was in the 80s. So I kind of discovered uh, 80s hardcore. And, and that in turn led to heavier things like Slayer and Metallica and the more metal scene. And so in the in the 90s, 
myself and Michael, our drummer, played in a in a metal band in the '90s. It was more kind of main, you know, sort of that like '90s metal, Southern Pantera-ish vibe. Although I was never that kind of that I could never pull off that kind of guitar playing really. But but it was much more more of a metal thing than, than uh, well, fat is. But then I remember uh, in the late late '90s, I I discovered Fu Manchu and that like completely like changed my whole outlook because it was, you know, like the, the blues has, has always been something that's touched me and like, you know, drawn me towards it, whether it's like anything that's, that's blues based, whether it's like the blues itself or whether it's like blues rock or, you know, in jazz, the things that are a little more, more leaning towards blues influences have always, have always drawn me in. And so, you know, hearing Fu Manchu was kind of like, it was it, it had the heaviness that I wanted, but it also came from a more bluesy place than like most of the metal that was going on at the time, you know. And of course, it also like you know harkens back to Black Sabbath and and you know, where heavier music all all came from in the first place, which was all coming out of a bluesy place. So so Fu Manchu to me like kind of said, yeah, you can you can write really heavy riffs and it can be like funky and bluesy. So that kind of like moved, I moved away from a more metal mindset to the stone rock thing. The stone rock thing led to like discovering more, more doom stuff like trouble, that kind of thing. So, you know, do you have like a, a landmark album for yourself that you feel made you start thinking about music differently? It probably like in terms of like get, heading towards the stone rock thing, it probably was the action is go. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that was the first few minutes record that I heard. It was like right when it came out. Any any other ones? It kind of sounded like maybe you had another one there, your back pocket, like something that you were like, oh, but man, probably, that's like that's different. But, well, really, probably like Sleep Holy Mountain was was like mm-hmm. just, you know mind blowing for me when I first heard that too, which is not long after covering from it too. You know, like that that was back in the time when StonerRock.com was a thing, which I don't know if you remember that, but like you know I'd go on there and just find out about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really around for that. And if I was, it was definitely more like the tail end. But it's one of those sort of like legacy things you read about. And like how, oh, this little like corner of the internet existed uh, for people to, you know, go on and find out about these bands. And I mean, bands got signed from being involved on that website and stuff like that. Yeah, it was it was a cool thing and educated me a lot in in the style of music so, you know, you, uh, uh, it sounds like you and Michael have known each other for a while and I know you started your other, uh, other metal band, uh, for a little while, but then like, how did, uh, Woe Fat come together? I guess it was around 2003, you know, I, I'd been like, we, the, our, the other band that Michael and I had kind of dissolved and, you know, Michael had, had a couple kids and then the other guys in the band kind of had other things going on in their lives. So it just kind of, you know, naturally just dissolved, you know, and so I had been thinking about more stoner rock types of riffs and wanting to do that kind of thing and and so i just approached michael and asked him if he'd be interested in just jamming on some of the stuff and, and uh and our friend tim bass player asked him to join in and so we just started jamming on some ideas and it, you know back then the thought was like yeah maybe let's play a few dallas gigs and just have some fun we never had a grand plan back then but uh it ended up obviously like became something really cool and and we got to <laughs> a lot of stuff that I never would have imagined we'd get to do, which is pretty awesome. But also, you know, back then, like shortly after we started jamming, probably 2004-ish, Matt Watkins, who's a 
guitar player friend of mine who is now playing with us again. He used to keep jam with us back then too, and he played on the first uh, first four songs that we ever recorded. But you know, he just couldn't stick with it because he lives in Kansas City. Just tough for him, yeah. Logistics. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I mean that it plays a role in you know people come and go because they just have other commitments and whatnot. I mean, when I saw you, you were you know you've been a trio for a very, 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 very long time. Yes. Yeah. So I I had kind of like saved that question for later, but since we're just on it, you know, with Matt having like rejoined the band on uh, second guitar, like what's it been like to have him? back in the band because you know after all these years it's been like basically just you on guitar and i assume if you have to do like a rhythm section it's you're doing the rhythm section and the leads but you know the whole reason i even thought to to see if matt was interested in coming back in again anyways we were we started you know we'd finished the album up last summer and we're starting to you know kind of start rehearsing with the eye towards you know getting back out and playing gigs again and and you know, I was just was thinking, man, some of these new songs are are a little bit harder to play and also would really benefit from having a second guitar, you know, playing some stuff. That, there's something for those these different stuff going on in the guitars. And I asked Matt if he'd be interested in just doing in, going on tour with us when we when we do it. And he just told it to it. But it, it's been cool. It's it's it is. It has been kind of strange because it's been, you know, being a three piece, it, it's a lot more freedom in a way. You know, so I, I find myself, you know, I do need to like focus a lot on like me and Matt playing together, whereas it was a little more freewheeling with just me playing guitar and then Zach and Michael doing their mm -hmm. thing. But but uh, I, I think it's going to be like super powerful in a live situation on stage. You know, 20 years in the band for you, you know, and you, you know, it's kind of alluded to it a little bit like, you know, what's it been like to experience the shift in stoner rock stoner metal going from like this you know underground movement with just like a one website to now having like multiple riff fueled festivals like just in the u.s alone probably was a more uh unique ex experience to see it like hey this is like kind of getting bigger grow and evolve like alongside of it and be like this was once this tiny thing and now it's this like you know global network of people yeah, it's it's been pretty amazing, really. I mean, I, it, it in some ways I, I kind of feel like I didn't. It, I just feel like I was kind of always inside it, so it was hard to like realize that it was becoming a lot bigger, maybe outside of the the people that were aware of in the genre. But but uh, I mean, I remember back in the early days when we when we first started playing gigs, like in, in Dallas and around Texas. You know, the scene was a lot smaller, but it really got really active pretty quick especially like with the sword coming out and bands in austin i mean there were there were some great stoner rock bands in austin back you know, in the early 2000s and you know, dixie witch and tia carrera has been around for a long time but, but so like there was always kind of a scene in austin but you know it it spread like statewide fairly quickly to where there's like you know lots of great bands all over the state but uh like i remember when we first started playing like i knew about roadburn and, and thought man that'd be awesome do that someday and then we actually got to do it and which and it was actually our first european show that we ever played and i remember when you know like so we showed up at roadburn and i did, didn't really know what to expect but then we get there and i was just like blown away to see like a couple thousand people that were like total fans of the music that i'd never seen in the u.s before anywhere 
and like we'd played a couple of smaller festivals in the U.S. before that, but it's like I, I didn't know that there was like a scene like like there were that many people that were into anywhere. But so so that like really like blew my mind, and then then you know it was that that was the case that whole tour, you know, like we played Desert Fest, and it was just like wow, this is awesome. Europe, Europe is like totally into this music, and then it was I think you know because probably because of the internet and the fact that it has become kind of a an online community of, of people worldwide, you know, America, that's like, that was when like psycho started becoming a thing. Like, I guess it was like 2015 or whatever, like it was psycho about California to start with. And then that just like, you know, I think it's, has really helped bring up the scene in the U S that, and, you know, now we've done the York. So the fact that there are these festivals that are like kind of doing a European style thing and making it, making it a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild, like, what's just popped up over the years. You know, I'm going, at the end of the month, I'm going to Maryland Death Fest, and they're, I think, calling it quits after, like, 25 <laughs> years, you know? Like, yeah, they kind yeah. of, you know, I, I, I'm sure there were others, but, like, I know they were kind of, like, the biggest, closest thing to, like, a European curated style festival for a long time, and they had a very diverse lineup for many, many years, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I love the the European approach to it. And Europe goes very hard for these bands. And I know it's a lot easier for US bands. I mean, I don't know about right now, but I know it's easier for US bands to have a bit more success in Europe and to do something like that than it is here. It's always some fucking pain in the ass to you know bring someone from across the pond over yeah. here and whatnot. Thus, you get kind of stuck seeing a lot of the same old bands and whatnot. Yeah. Someone has to drop off and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, uh, shit happens and, you, you know, you move on to the next thing. But, yeah, I agree. And it's um, been a really unique scene to step into and discover more and kind of, like, find and pick apart the layers. And it's, like, you know, very much like the music itself. It's very thick and resilient. Yeah. And uh, it probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, I hope not. I, I doubt it. Did you ever have a moment where you're like, hey, this is actually like working out? I, I assume it was probably like playing Roadburn. You're like, hey, this is like kind of <laughs> like going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, really, there was that like that. Yeah, Roadburn was just a epiphany kind of experience for me. It's like, wow, we've actually I've actually done this really cool thing. And and but, you know, it, it's been cool that we, like we've been able to keep going and keep doing more cool mm -hmm. stuff and you know we went to australia new zealand and you know and it's just like wow I, I, it's just really amazing and cool that things have worked out like that you know playing just some stuff that that we we dig and we think is cool and so it's cool that the other people dig it too you know because it's we're not we're not trying to write you know something that's gonna sell you know we're not, we're not thinking about that we're just writing writing music that that we dig now besides being a guitar player you're also a recording engineer and looks like you're recording this from your studio and uh you know i know this is like essentially your excuse me i know this is essentially your day job do you ever have days where you're like man this sucks i wish i was out on the road and then like vice versa like man this sucks i wish i was back at the recording studio <laughs> yeah yeah there's probably probably days of both yeah you know, it's it's fine. Like being on the, on the road to me, like we don't tour a whole lot just because it's it's not possible for us to do. Like, you know, like I can't myself. I can't be gone too long, or the studio's not going to be able to stay open. But uh, you know, it's it's like when we get 
well, like when we do go on tour and we like actually get on the like it's always stressful beforehand for me but then once we get like we're on the road we're going it's like it's awesome and i love it and then like when i get home it's like man that's so exhausting and you know <laughs> i don't know if i can do that again but it, it's sort of all these this kind of like once i'm doing it, it it's totally amazing and it can kind of let go of like other kinds of stress once you're out on the road thinking about the next gig and playing the next gig and you know it's easy to like easy to not worry about a lot of stuff on the road but you know in the studio I, yeah i mean there's definitely times where you know because i get all, all kinds of sessions all different you know so there's definitely some some sessions that are kind of a beating <laughs> but it's like you know that's the way life is and you just gotta gotta pay the bills deal with what what comes through the door you know engineering is is something that i really really love doing mixing up the whole start to finish tracking mixing mastering the whole process is something i really enjoy doing and i love working on different styles of music too and that's one one thing about our studio it's pretty varied stylistically yeah i mean i can imagine that's good because then you're not just pigeonholing yourself to like i'm only gonna record stoner rock bands yeah. and it's like that kind of limits the amount of people that you're gonna be able to work with and the amount of clients and if you can do that then you're just kind of by the nature of it, exposing yourself to other kinds of music which is probably beneficial mm -hmm. for yourself it probably keeps you know keeps the gears loose and you know keeps things interesting and whatnot what's like the least metal or least heavy thing you've done in your studio or you've recorded in your studio i've done a lot of show tune stuff i've done uh you know some some uh christian gospel stuff with all with that's more like much more traditional like like southern gospel boy all dang, i don't even know it's like all kinds of stuff I mean, the last two weeks have been like nothing but jazz. That's cool. The varying kinds. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, classical guitar, that's probably not, uh, maybe it is metal actually. Yeah, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. Man. And like as a, a recording engineer too, like does it keep things interesting for you as a guitar player? And like, do you ever try to like, you know, if you're recording somebody and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Do you ever try to like incorporate that into your work at all? Or is it kind of like very much like this is work and I'm just going to like kind of leave it as is. Oh, no, I there's definitely lots of stuff that I've, you know, because I've, I've recorded a lot of really great musicians and a lot of good guitar players. And uh, and there's a lot of things where I'll like hear somebody do something and whether it's guitar playing or just like writing wise in terms of songwriting or well i'll be like man that's a cool way of doing that or a cool idea there and i will definitely like take some of those ideas and you know rework them or or incorporate like the concept into the songwriting or, or playing I mean, yeah i definitely it definitely is influential on on me as a musician and a songwriter just all of the different musicians that i work with you know uh, so again, you know, it's been six years since Midnight Coming <laughs> came out and it's, uh, you know, now it's, you know, it's been six albums. When you look back at the beginning of the band and look at, you know, new release, like, what do you feel like, you know, besides the obvious of like, you know, losing and gaining a member, you know, what's changed the band since then? And like, how do you think it reflects on, on the album? Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I think one of the, maybe the biggest things is I, I feel like the song writing song structure is more refined now and more uh, effective i think you know i feel like in the especially like the gathering dark that was sort of a you know shotgun approach because it was just like that was the first album that we did and i just had like all these songs and wanted to like fit everything on there 
and I over over the time I or you know over the years with the other albums, I think I have taken more of a editing eye to the songwriting to where like things mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, that's maybe that goes too long, or that's you know maybe unnecessary, or that could lead somewhere else better, or things like that. I, mean, I feel like in in that sense, there's the the new album is, has grown a lot in terms of the songwriting. And I also feel like in terms of the uh, jam improvisation aspect, it's gotten more uh, not cohesive, but more uh, like a, more of a of like a vibe, especially with me, Zach, and Michael. You know, because Zach, this is the only album that Zach actually played on, the only studio album, even though he's been with us for six years. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, he really brought a very strong personality as far as just bass playing goes to the to the music and i think that's reflected a lot in the, in the new album it really brought another level to the to the music and has a really good uh tasteful way of, of adding his own ideas musically and and things that, that play off the guitar riff well i feel like you really like got some of the kind of psychedelic sensibility of some of those vibes and grooves and so to me, I think that's a big part of why I feel like new record is so strong. The band performance of the three of us together, you know, I, I feel like it's really good and better than, than what it has ever been before. One thing I, I've, I've always remembered uh, Woe Fat for was like just very like big, loud album covers. And, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're pretty, they each have their own unique character to them and whatnot. The one for the singularities is very like, that's this monstrous sort of robotic beast, you know, breathing out the logo and whatnot. And it's like kind of a thematic, it's sort it's thematic to the album in as much as like, you know, it's this technological beast. And if you've done any reading about the singularity, it's about like the next step of human evolution and with relation to machines and whatnot. And like, you know, as somebody who works daily, like around machines and like, you know, and in a touring band with, you know, guitars and tech and whatnot, like what, how does that make you feel in relation to, you know, doing an album about this sort of like the fear of that fear of the machines? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> well, see, I kind of have, I've got my feet in both worlds really. Cause I guess, you know, like the, the studio here is it's, you know, it's sort of a hybrid of, of old vintage analog gear and then new digital mm-hmm. stuff. And so it's, and, you know, when I first started recording, it was like recording on too much tape and all analog. And so it's, it's, I'm very familiar with both worlds. And, and I mean, I guess I haven't really thought about the horror aspect of, of technology so much in terms of recording, but aside from maybe auto tune, but, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question because I, you know, the, like even like going black code kind of started the whole technological computer virtual sci-fi horror concept for mm-hmm. lyrically, and this kind of just carried carried that a little bit further on. More stuff that I've read about or thought about, you know, the deep fakes and all the like just crazy technological capabilities that are that are happening now, even like more so than were even happening in 2013 when black code came out. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I. I don't know, I guess, yeah, I am surrounded by machines all day, but it's, you know, I don't, don't really relate to you, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, maybe I will from here on out, I don't know. Just wake up one day, you have like a circuit board like growing out of your arm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, listening to the album, 
one thing that I felt like compared and, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I felt like it was a little less chunky than previous albums, maybe like a little bit looser and like, you know, the songs are classically long with a lot of very intricate solos. Did the writing process change for you at all during this, you know, or was it kind of like the same old approach and, or did you like try to do something where you're like, oh, I'm going to try something different here. You know, let's see what we can, what we can do here. Or is this just like 20 years of working together as a band and you know exactly what you want to do? I think, well, I think part of it was, was having Zach playing, but, but also I think, you know, if I, you know, you mentioned that less chunky, which, which I, I to me, I think like when I'm writing songs, it, a, a lot of stuff is really influenced by whatever I listen to a lot of at the time. And I think, you know, during a lot of the, especially for some of the early first stuff that was written for the song, like, you know, I it, I think during that period, I was listening to maybe a little more, a little less heavier stuff and a little more like psychedelic or instrumental kinds of things that were maybe a less metal influenced. And so that may I think, probably influence a little bit songwriting wise to maybe not be as metal chunkiness as you know, some of the previous albums have been. But, you know, I think I also wanted to wanted this to be a little bit more expansive in some ways and jammy in some ways too. And also, one of the big differences on this record to me is the uh, melodically we go outside of, of the real strict blues paradigm more more than we really ever have. I mean, that still is a big, huge key component to what what's going on. But there's more stuff that ventures out past that. And mm-hmm. I really, I wanted to do that. And, you know, like I'd also been listening to a lot of like, you know, 70s fusion. And, and so I, I, I wanted to kind of step away from, from the bluesy thing just a little bit. But, but, but also, I didn't want to step away too far because I wanted to kind of keep our foundation. Right. You know, you can't like lose your identity, do 180 degrees away from what you were doing, you know, <laughs> yeah. with, you know without <laughs> without warning, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. going to put out like a 80 minute long ambient album like <laughs> Blood Incantation did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which people were like, what the fuck? I wasn't. I liked it. And, you know, you've always kind of had running themes of like, like weird fiction and darker, cultier shit. Although I'm dying to know what the snows of Banquo 4 are like. I'm not, I, <laughs> I just don't know what Banquo 4 is. It sounds like a Star Wars yeah. planet to me. Well, yeah, so it is a planet. Um, okay. But so so the story with that song is uh, a friend of mine is one of the uh, creators of a, an RPG, a role-playing game called Mothership, which is a, oh, sci-fi, cool. it's a sci-fi horror RPG. He had asked me, and this was like right around when the, not long after the pandemic started, he hit me up and, and was and said that, you know, told me about that they were going to come out with like a, another module for their game, you know, because, you know, bunch of modules or like different scenarios that you play through and he had the idea of originally the thought was like to put out a flexi disc with a, a song of ours on it that went with the mm. module and so i'm like yeah i totally into that and you know so he gave me the storyline and basis for that for what the module is and so i wrote the song kind of based on that concept and you know the the that's the, the bank you know, bank wolf four is the the planet that's in the, the module and it sort of also became because you know like I, this was written like after the pandemic started and you know, all shit just had gotten crazy politically and and so it kind of became you know not only about the rpg but also it has like a you know another sort of analogous thing about 
disinformation and, and manipulating people with disinformation and with like creating false realities and, and getting people to do, you know, things that, you, that they wouldn't otherwise do. And so that kind of ties it all it like works with the game. But of course, in, you know, as usual, I can't write a short song. And so the, the flexi disc <laughs> thing kind of went out the window, but at this point, like it's still going to do it. And we're at, I think it may end up becoming a, uh, like a split with mm-hmm. like another, another band that'll add a song. So, so I, I'm not sure what the timeline is on that, but that's the story of that song. That's pretty cool though. Like I, I, how he like, you know, you're like, well, we can't do the flexi disc, so we may as well just include it on the new album. But, uh, but that's, <laughs> that's me, you know, that's sort of like a Michael Moorcock working his way into like Hawkwind basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that, that little bit of a uh, collaboration there. That's a, that's a neat little bit of trivia about it with the, the new album. You know, it's just, it's just a few weeks old at this point. Are you working on anything else? I know you've got some shows and coming up. Yeah, but we are doing a, a Houston and Austin show in June. Then we're, we've got a European tour that's, that's in the works for late July and early August. And at the moment, that's, that's all we've got. So yeah, we'll see what, what else we get set up after that. So we're kind of easing back into things really. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the best approach, you know, <laughs> at this point, you know, in terms of you being a studio uh, uh, engineer and whatnot, you know, I, I took a quick look at some of your credits and, you know, like Mothership just saw them over the weekend. Um, but you working on anything cool otherwise, any other neat projects landed in your land in your lap? Yeah. Like I said, I'm, just, I'm doing a bunch of like local jazz stuff for various different projects right now. Um, I don't think there's nothing at the moment don't know rocky or anything but but i am pretty pretty happy about the the new cities of mars record that i mixed, mixed master for them i you know i thought they did a great job with their new they kind of changed a little bit direction with their songwriting and the new album i think is killer and it was a lot of fun to get to work with those guys on that record nice kind of to go back to that like obviously you do a lot of local work but like do you have a, uh, a lot of history with like European bands or other bands like reaching out to you and be like, Hey, would you do this? You know, would you like do something with our tunes? Obviously the distance provides kind of an issue, you know, in terms of that, but have you ever done anything like that? Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I mixed a record for uh, captain caravan and uh, you know, I mean, I've done a, a few things, mixing and, and mastering, probably more mastering stuff that people will send me, you know, like mystic sons, I mastered their record and uh uh, Domodora, I've mastered a couple of their albums. Yeah, I always draw blank when people ask me things. Yeah, what I've been doing, but uh, but yeah, I would like to. I mean, I would love to do more of that, more stuff for people locally or remotely. You know, it, it's a lot of. And then uh, besides that, have you been listening to anything lately that you've been really enjoying? Um, you know, whether it's something new or something old. I know what I've been listening to. Well, you know what I've been li- listening to a lot lately actually is, is uh, some African stuff like Tenarowen. I'm gonna do Mokhtar like these uh molly from molly it, it's it's kind of like afro blues it's it's kind of trancy bluesy african and that's so i've actually been listening to a lot of that lately i've been really digging the new endless boogie album I actually started a, a playlist that i kind of regularly will put on shuffle that's like you're a stoner rock like which is like the late 90s early 2000s like all, all those bands kind of kind of go back to that because a lot of that a lot of those earlier records i kind of hadn't listened to in a long time so but, but yeah, what else let's i mean those are the things that come to mind that i've been listening to very recently so i have to look through my really recent stuff but yeah i haven't really been listening to too much just because 
like I said, Desert Fest kind of like was taking up a lot of my time. Uh, but I'll I'll say one band because I completely botched their name and their information uh, in the last episode, which you won't hear it because it'll be edited out. Um, <laughs> but their their name is I'm going to say it much slower this time. It's like old. It, it's uh, they're from Mexico. Like, yeah, like Aztec. Yeah. Yeah, it's that yeah. kind of thing. I'm gonna try yeah. to say it again. Tlaz Caltilizli. You have to. I think it's one of those words I, that you just have to say very quickly. I think I've. I think I've heard of those guys. Hang on. Yeah, they're. Like yeah, a, I'll, I'll look them up. They're like a. They're a like a death doom band from Mexico. Uh, their new album it's called Zampatli. That's much easier to say, and uh, it's really good. <laughs> Um, but other than that, I've been kind of working through, as I've been saying, uh, my seems to be ever growing tape collection. Um, <laughs> so I popped in, uh, there was a band who put out an album last year called Dream Unending. I got their album Tide Turns Eternal on tape. It's great. Uh, Listen to my friend John Michael's uh, solo album Domesticwam on tape. Uh, that's really good. So another band they had they had, their new album their debut uh is out. i talked to them last year on the podcast uh, they're called dark meditation their debut album came out earlier this year it's excellent but i picked up their demos uh after i spoke with them and uh, uh that stuff would eventually go on to be the the debut but uh pretty cool to see that you know go from oh. the demo to their really yeah. good album found an edith edith piaf uh, oh, yeah. tape uh-huh. in my collection for some reason. <laughs> wow. I don't know how it got there, but I listened to it and like, you know, I don't know if I ever will listen to it again, but <laughs> it's probably important to educate yourself a little bit in Edith. And uh, my girlfriend was nice enough to give me a, a Mortis tape and uh, that That's was good. fun to listen to. Mortis is always a fun little dude to talk about. <laughs> nice. Unless there's anything, any other uh, bands or anything that you've uh, been enjoying, um, is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, um, new record. Yeah, the new record, and yeah, and I guess you know just the European tour that's coming up in late July. So, oh yeah, you know what else I mentioned is uh, hopefully within a couple of weeks I'll have uh, vinyl of Black Code and the Conjuring uh, repressings that uh, Totem Cat in France is, is doing. Ewan told me today he's got the vinyl already. He's going to ship out some to me. I think he's putting his on sale possibly next Monday on Totem Cat on his, his website. And then I'll put up what what we get for our inventory whenever, when it gets here, which will probably be a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I, I did, you know, we did pre-sales for like this, the Gathering Dark reissue, which was supposed to be out in December. And I still don't have vinyl yet. And so it's just like, killing me that i've got all these people waiting on stuff they ordered five months ago so i don't know that i'm going to do pre-sales for the, the conjuring and black coat i'll just wait till i have the vinyl so there is that um it's gonna be it's pretty limited edition stuff you know so like small stone is they don't have any more vinyl of those records grab it while you can yeah ah the uh the age-old vinyl issues that we've been dealing with for the last <laughs> two fucking years that i'm sure everybody yeah. is so tired i was just talking with a friend of mine in another episode and he's just like it's so bizarre what has this has affected t-shirts you know <laughs> yeah. fucking t- tvs yeah. fine yeah no shortage of those do you want action figures you can't get them <laughs> like anything that really that, yeah any, i, I guess any I guess anything that it involves, because I got like some limited edition stuff from a website 
And I guess it's just anything that's involving vinyl is just fucking cursed for wow. years to come now. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be the biggest fallout of all this nonsense. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you heard it right here. Singularity is out. Uh, new low fat first record first record in six years and nice to have you back and thank you for coming on diary doom i really appreciate it awesome thanks for having me my pleasure and that'll do it for this chapter of the diary well actually um i don't i i should ask too do you is there any like uh social media that people could follow you if you want to you know if they want to find out more and whatnot i should put that oh. in there because if we yeah. don't I'll, i will not have done my my, my job yeah i mean the usual uh Facebook, I think it's Wofat Riffage on Facebook. I think it's the same thing on Instagram, Wofat Riffage. Those are that's those are our social media things. Uh, Bandcamp is a good place. Our you know Wofat dot Bandcamp, whatever that is. I mean, it's a good place to get our to get merch and uh, and uh, you can buy downloads there too, of course. So yeah, we've got uh, t-shirts, vinyl as far as the new album, which actually again will hopefully show up like within a week or so um cds all that stuff get on our bandcamp page or our website which is wofat.net sweet now i've done it correctly <laughs> <laughs>
Hey everybody, Dylan here to break the fourth wall and just let you know that Diary of Doom is going on hiatus for a little while. Since launching the podcast in November of 2019, I've been going at it on a weekly basis straight through the pandemic and quite frankly, I need a little break to recharge. I am the only person working on DOD despite how I promote it. That's all for kicks. And that includes setting up the recording sessions, listening to the music, doing research, prepping questions, doing the actual recording, editing it, graphics, social media, just a general one-man wrecking crew approach to it. When I first conceived the idea for the podcast, my intention was to not just interview bands, but other members of the underground heavy music scene. I really just thought that the closest people that I could speak to were fans. That's really what I wanted to do was to kind of like start there and, you know, work way up. And over time that has changed to having far more opportunities to speak with musicians than I expected. Uh, not to mention that the pandemic had everybody pretty situated for a while and allowed them more time to do something like a podcast. And by no means do I want to diminish any of those artists I spoke with because I've been allowed some really special and meaningful opportunities from doing it. However, I was starting to find myself feeling like it was turning a bit into work, which made me recall a comment Kevin Smith once said on about his show, Smodcast. And that's once something starts to feel like work, it might be time to stop. And I don't know if I would take it that far, but I was starting to lose interest in the thing that I was once very excited about, which leads me to my next point. Last May, I was let go from my job on the eve of moving from New Jersey to New York. And as I have been looking for a new job, I decided to launch a Patreon to not just bring in a little money, but to try and get back to what DOD was about and explore other paths, such as talking about another thing I am very passionate about, movies. Uh, obviously, I know this is a very niche corner of two already niche subcultures, so I didn't anticipate to be raking it in by any stretch. What I have been thinking about more is if operating the Patreon is actually worth it in the end when I could just be sharing these great chats with people for free. As such, I've opted to can the Patreon and I will be re-releasing the episodes, including the movies from Green Hell episodes, as free content for everybody once the podcast gets back on track. But I do want to do a special shout out to Nathan Sizemore, August West, and Tom Childers for throwing their support behind the Patreon during its brief existence. This also coincides with something I've kind of figured out about myself personally, and that is that I have essentially been in a steadily growing depression for probably the last month and a half. And I think it's all a combination of burnout, lack of a secure job, the current state of the US plus the world, and any other number of things that I don't necessarily feel like discussing here. All of that combined leads to me lacking interest in DOD. And if I'm not in the right state of mind for this, then that affects me as a host. And that's a disservice to both the guests and the people that listen to and support the podcast. And I cannot in good faith continue on in that manner if it is affecting how I present the show. I don't want anybody to think the Diary of Doom is going away. I still love this podcast and all of the friends I have made along the way, whether from the heavy metal scene or doing their own podcast about their own thing or whatever it is. 
and I'm immensely proud of being able to put out 133 plus episodes. In the meantime, I'll still be going to shows and snapping pictures when I can, but I want to make sure that I'm putting in 100% of my efforts to deliver a good show uh, for the listeners. And after two and a half years of nonstop podcasting, I just am not sure that I am doing that. So with all that said, it's time for me to take a little breather. I'll be attending my first and seemingly last Maryland Death Fest this weekend and then parking my ass on the beach in Asbury with a rum ham shortly thereafter as summer starts to kick into gear. I want to thank everybody who has listened, reached out, and been featured on the show, and all the people that have uh, helped me out and supported in some way, shape, or form along the way. It's greatly appreciated, and obviously I I wouldn't have been able to do it uh, without you providing the time to, to help me out or to come on as a guest. Again, thank you for that. And I will see you in a little bit.